to the How Could You Podcast. I'm Lauren Tossi. And I'm Ryan Tossi. And we's a be a doing a podcast today, Lauren. You have just killed the entire audience. You can't start out by talking like the Binks. <laughs> this is a Star Wars episode. That is the most divisive character in the entirety of the franchise. And you're going to quote Jar Jar at the top of the show? Jar Jar Binks is an underappreciated character in the Star Wars Oh canon. my god. You know what? We can talk about that when we get to the Phantom Menace, but I feel like starting the episode there, we've lost our audience. See? This is why I'm so scared about this episode out of all of our episodes. I got a bad feeling about this. There you go. See? <laughs> Han, Lando, Luke, that's where you start an okay. episode. Fair. That's fair. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. It is International Star Wars Day, or otherwise known as... May the 4th be with you. And we thought uh, the most appropriate way to celebrate this week would to talk about all things Star Wars franchise, sticking with the film canon, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but that's going to be the subject of our podcast episode today. Such a... Loved, you know, franchise, but also much debated, much (laughs) questioned, much loved. I mean, you could put every adjective into this (laughs) and... and Much maligned. Well, and I think what you're speaking to is the fact that, you know, so this is a franchise that there's no denying that people... From the original three, where it branches off, so you get the prequel trilogies and then the sequel trilogy. And I think one of the really interesting things is that people own this franchise in a really deep way in their bones. And they will debate and defend which ones they think are the best movies, which is some of what we're going to be doing today. And I and because I know there are aspects of it we don't agree upon um, that we slightly differ. And I think one of the wisest things I've heard recently is this. It was actually today in a class I was teaching. And a student said to me, we were talking about Star Wars, because I always show Star Wars in my class on May the 4th. Um, throw the lesson plans out for the day. I'm fine saying Why it. Why did I have you as a <laughs> But so I let my students fill out like a Google form as to which film they wanted to watch. And at that point in the day when I had the student in class, Revenge of the Sith was winning. And he kind of groaned when I said Revenge of the Sith was winning. He was like, oh, he was like, I was hoping Empire was winning. And so we started talking about it. And then like like three or four students within that kind of circle, they started like debating about it. And he said this. He was like, what is it about Star Wars fans? Why are we so unkind to each other? (laughs) That is literally what he said. And we talked about it like because exactly all the reasons you're saying. You love and attach onto these stories. And the cool thing about this franchise is I think you can attach on to any part of it and feel it that deeply. Mm-hmm. Because as I'm sure we'll get into, the prequel trilogy for a very long time, I mean, so much so, there's an entire documentary called mm-hmm. The People versus George Lucas, <laughs> yeah. all about how much the original fans of the original three Star Wars films hated the prequel films. But now... And we've seen this with our nieces and nephews. I've seen this with my students. There's this resurgence and kind of this like, you know, kind of redemption arc for those original, for the prequel trilogy of kind of like, no, 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 no. These are actually good Star Wars movies because I had a kid say to me, I'm not even lying about this. He was like, what? I like the part about the trade disputes. It's cool to see the inner workings. He literally said that. And the kid retorted, he was like, oh, you were a 10 year old who likes trade disputes. And I was like. You know what, knowing this kid, I totally see that he would have liked the trade disputes. It's like, 
So it's just a really interesting, but I think that's the cool thing about it. It's all that love and passion that people bring to it. It's just sometimes we're not very nice to each other about it. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, kind of getting this out of the way at the top of the show, and it's something that I know I've talked to you a lot about. I've gone down some rabbit holes recently. There is some dark fandom out there, um, and there is a lot of hatred, and it's it's disappointing. Um, I think we've heard recently it's... There's gatekeeping on mm-hmm. the fandom, right? Yeah, of for sure. Who's a real Star Wars fan? Who's not a real Star fan? A Star Wars fan? Um, you know, there's a lot of hatred towards, you know, kind of direction things have gone um, and choices that are made. Um, you know, the term, you know, you know, politically correct and wokeness and those types of things. That there's a lot that people have had some really visceral type feelings on. Well, and what's like so disappointing about that is, you know, a franchise wanting to exemplify and like respond to the times it lives in and and wanting to address concerns and then all of a sudden it gets much maligned. I, I think, you know, I look at it like this. I think there are, what I think gets muddied is, is like you cannot like the new trilogy like that's completely fine absolutely i think you, what you're talking about is like yeah there's some you fell down some youtube rabbit mm-hmm. holes like watching like people who are commenting on star wars in like really negative ways and really not liking some of the direction not liking certain characters for like really strange reasons really unfortunate reasons and i think that's like like you said that i mean and we'll be playful here the dark side of the fandom like yeah. it's it's not i think you're Average Star Wars fan really likes debating this, probably has an affinity for one set of the trilogy or another, and feels that way because, like, I think we all, we all grew up, depending on what trilogy you grew up with, we all grew up kind of playing with these characters in our minds. So when we get to re-see them again, we kind of have this set of expectations of what that story could potentially look like, and I think that's why we all own it so deeply, and I don't think it's like one set of the trilogies is necessarily so much more Star Wars than the other. It just depends on what you grew up with. And like, you know, it's kind of like the, the the old Ewoks thing that people talk about. Like the, right. what age were you when you saw Return? It depends on how you feel about them, the Ewoks. Yeah, I think that's a great example of it. Um, and I started the show talking Jar Jar Binks, and I think that's another example kind of, of this. Um, you know, it, and listen, I fully will admit that I've had a moment or two through my enjoyment and fandom of the the films that I went a little off, <laughs> you know, uh, an end that I didn't, you know, love. <laughs> no, because there was one of the films that came out, and I was, I'm sure we're going to get into this as we start talking about the episodes, that you and I so sharply disagreed about our feelings about that film. Yeah. And, and it, and it took you a while, I think, to reconcile some better feelings about it. But even when we watch it, I still see you kind of twinge at parts. No, and I think there's something I wrote down, and you kind of actually just alluded to it as well, but there's something I wrote down at the beginning of the show, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of my notes when we started watching the films, and I wrote it three other times as I did it, and in the end. And this is something I think everyone should date. I had to do it, and I, I do believe it's release expectation and release ownership. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what, as fans, we have to do to appreciate these films. I'm not saying you, I agree with you what you said. You don't have to like them. I mean, there's going to be things that we're going to talk in this that we do not like about the films. But you got to release that expectation because, 
that's you had these expectations of what you were going to get in the prequels and then expectations of what you wanted out of the characters that you love so much in the sequels. You have to release ownership because these are not our films. We were not the ones that were chosen to guide them to their next spot in the story. So it's not our story to tell. It's our story to come along with and enjoy. We don't have to like every path it takes, but we also have to remember at the end of the day, it's not our ownership to determine what is, you know, where it's going and where it should end. You can't see it, but I just mouth F yeah, as Roy was saying. I was like, yes, I agree a hundo percent. So, Wait, hold on. I agree a hundo percent. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, as we now go and kind of get more, and that's kind of the, uh, you told me not to use this word, the housekeeping, you know, and I think that's the thing. What we're going to get in this show is, this show is not meant to crush these films. We are going, we're going to have some things that we're going to say we dislike them, but this is supposed to be fun. We're going to talk about the films and what we love, because at the end of the day, I think you're going to agree with me, we love all Star Wars movies. Oh, clearly. <laughs> and this is the thing. And when we talked about this episode, it's like, and even when I was taking notes as we were re-watching all 11 films, I was just like... I, Here's the thing, like, yeah, there are definitely things I could criticize, and maybe that episode comes at some point. Maybe next year on May the 4th, we'll maybe do a Revenge of the 5th and, like, <laughs> feel, like, salty and, like, talk down notes of the star, but this is, an, this is a fan appreciation show. And with that, so we are going to take this through its timeline order, not its release order. Um, there's a lot of debate of which way to watch it. Um, you know, I think there's arguments and merits to watching it in its release order or watching it in its episodic order. Uh, to me, this is where I want to shout out. There's a YouTube channel um, called Always Believe. Two people, Ash and Brian, huge Star Wars nerds. No. They live out in California. And last year, if you followed us on maybe our personal Instagrams, you may have seen this. Uh, we had done a Star Wars Marathon where we watched episodes one through nine straight through, stayed up for 36 hours, however long that takes you to do. <laughs> um, we were very tired by the end. Cosplay. In our home for every, uh, I think almost every, or every trilogy. Every trilogy, yeah. yeah every trilogy. So like You had a different theme snack for every film. For every film, different snack. For every film, a different drink. Every yeah. trilogy, we had like different uh, cosplays or like Disney bounds, um, if you're familiar with that. And it was a really great experience because like, I will say this, if you've not done that yet, watch the Skywalker saga. I'm just talking about the nine episodes, not the side, not the Star Wars stories. Because I think it can solve a lot of problems that I commonly hear people talk about and problems I had with the series as a whole, like where I'd go like, well, I don't know if I like that in the prequels. And then I had like watched an episodic order and I was like, oh, you could, you can attest to this. By the end of Rise of Skywalker that weekend, <laughs> I was like crying because I'm like, this makes so much sense. Like, because I was forced to watch it as one continuous story and you'd be surprised how how that continuity works so well on things that were not made to be that contiguous. I 100% agree with you. I 100% I agree because it's when you watch them in order, which we just did again for this, we just didn't do it straight through like we did with that. Because that time. requires like at yeah, least a so day off. So we kind of started work. on Thursday, a couple of movies here, and then did a lot. I mean, there was a lot in, in but we just didn't do the overnight nonstop. Um, but watching them in subsequent, you know, in, you know, numeric order really adds something. And this time we did all 11 films. Yes. So. So we're going to go film by film. We're going to talk high notes, low notes, um, things we like about the films. Well, before we get there, though, I go. I want to know from you. Yeah. 
How did you get into Star Wars? Where is your entry point? As much as I love Star Wars in this moment in my life, it's hard for me to exactly remember or recall like where that started. Like the immediate thing is my brother showed me the movies as a kid and I loved Return of the Jedi and I loved Star Wars. Um, and but if you remember in like the mid 90s, like Star Wars was not at its zenith. Um, and then in 99, you know, Phantom Menace comes out. Um, and those films are, you know, as we'll talk about, like, you know, there's some feelings about those. But I'll say from my teenage years through my, I guess if you want to call me an adult, calling this my adulthood, my passion and fandom for Star Wars has grown exponentially. Um, I always loved it. But I loved it in that way of like, yeah, I love Star Wars. Like, I love Indiana Jones, but this has like reached a fever pitch for me, um, especially since The Force Awakens came out. And I would have said, oh, no, I'm like a diehard Star Wars fan. But now I'm like, mm, you weren't yet. Now you are. <laughs> now you've gone all into the fandom. I'm all in. Yeah. No, I, I can't. Your I am Tanto Bite all in. just gets bigger and bigger every year. And I love it. I'm here for it. I, I just love your your cosplaying, or not really cosplaying, but more bounding Disney with bounding, it. Disney bounding, yeah. You know, with it. And when you go to Galaxy's Edge, your love for Galaxy's Edge. I cried when I saw the Falcon. Yeah. I did. I cried. So. And sometimes, like, if I have... Like a, a like a bad day at work. Like I come home, I just put on Star Wars because I just need it in the background. It's a very big comfort thing for me. So that's my situation. What about you? Like, where did it start for you? Well, it's funny you said Return of the Jedi. Um, I'm sure I've said it on this show before, but I'll say it all the time. Return of the Jedi is the first film I ever saw in the theater. So it was big. With I my... hate you for that. <laughs> I have this great moment with my mom of her reading the Jabba. I couldn't read the, the words and I was getting mad because I couldn't see them. And she's just like, no, no, it's OK. I'll read them to you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> because this woman was in front of me and I couldn't see that. But um, yeah, so my family, we were really into the Kenner uh, Star Wars action figures. So cool. Uh, I have a funny story where we have this like antique roll top desk and you know it would close and stuff and yeah. there was like a little gap and I had this uh, complete thought that oh if I take this Princess Leia action figure and put it down it will come on and through the end. Uh, nope it just now the desk doesn't close properly. And the desk is worth ten times more <laughs> than what it was worth just as a desk. My sister Julia and I make that talk about that all the time because <laughs> yeah the desk just doesn't close properly but yeah I just you know I've seen, I have a great memory with every one of these films that I've seen in the theater over the years. You know, 1999, I skipped school with my friend Amy Wazikowski, and we went to go see Phantom Menace and both really enjoyed it. Um, I, that has not stayed necessarily. <laughs> um, I remember going with my friends Paul and Mike and we would go see the re-releases of the, the original trilogy and we sat in the same kind of Mystery Science Theater 3000 spot. <laughs> and then the, uh, for Return of the Jedi, our friend Mike was sick. He couldn't come, so we left the space open for them, you know, that type of stuff. And then obviously, you know, since you and I've been together, you know, we've seen, you know, Revenge of the Sith and, mm -hmm. you know, went with our friends Holly and Joe. And then we've gotten to see all the Disney, you know, opening night. We haven't missed an opening night since Revenge of the Sith. Nope. Um, so, yeah, it's just again, it just builds and builds and I'm here for it all. No, and I think that, like, I love your story with it because it's long and varied. And, you know, there's there's nothing like seeing a Star Wars movie on opening night. There's nothing like the energy in that room. Right. And, and especially if you get a good one where all the lightsabers go uh, on right, right when it started. Hell yeah, that is yeah. always the best. So, I mean, lightsabers up, everyone. Let's talk about episode one, The Phantom Menace. 1999, as I incorrectly could not remember the year. <laughs> and I should have because we've been significantly talking about this. Ah, <sighs> Phantom Menace. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the high points of it, but it is a tough one to start off with, um, and that's the only difficult part of doing it in this type of order, because obviously, you know, New Hope is so 
beloved Mm -hmm. um, if we started it off in release order. But episode one, I I think it's the best way to start it off. But it it does not start off in the highest note for us. Well, now, and here's the thing. There are things that I actually really like about this movie. And, you know, multiple rewatches and rewatching them episodic order, I think, can help with some of this stuff. But I'll say this off the top. Like, I think it's really smart to start the story with Obi-Wan. Because you have your connection point, you're getting to see young Obi-Wan, finally getting to really see Obi-Wan's story, because it's this figure that's so important to the original trilogy. But I mean, how much time do we really get with him? You know, he comes in to kind of drop some information and then gives further, more, much more clarified information later down the road <laughs> um, in, you know, force ghost form. But you have this kind of opening. You have, the, you have Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, played by Liam Neeson. I honestly think you fix this movie by really just making it about the two of them. Yeah, uh, but I mean, if you don't do that, I mean, if you don't do the Anakin aspect of it, that's where we're all leading towards, right? So we need to have, you know, Jake Lloyd. <laughs> no offense to Jake Lloyd. It's not his fault. It's just I feel like they unfairly... S- that's the problem. <laughs> It's you unfairly set this kid up to have these really cheesy moments. And honestly, here's the thing. I have a feeling if the first time you saw us when you were a kid, you probably love the Phantom Menace. I can, and I could see the attraction because here's the thing. There are aspects of this, the, how the things that happen in this film that I'm very intrigued by. I'll say it. You started this out talking about Jar Jar Binks. I would say if the Gungan City was makeup and sets, that would be one of the most beautiful locations in a Star Wars yeah. movie because it's gorgeous. The problem is... It's heavily CGI'd, which already differs it from the original trilogy in that we're not having practical effects. We're having CGI. So that can make people feel a little disconnected from the world. But, I mean, world building, this movie does that well. Like, I feel what these locations are. There's a lot of cool to this film. And like I said before, I remember coming out of it really enjoying it the first time I ever saw it. It's weird because it's probably the Star Wars film I've seen the most. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, I have no so way to be weird. 100% about this, but it's one of those, it's, it's on a lot. Um, it's one of the films that because of start and restart of releasing in the theaters and different things like that, I've, I've just seen it a bunch. It's worn down for me over time because when it doesn't hit, it's not good. Oh, yeah. You look in pain when you're watching it. <laughs> I, I was falling asleep this time watching it. Um, but there are moments, like you said, and I agree with you. Your, your sentiment, I completely agree, which is if it was just a Qui-Gon and a Obi-Wan film, all about it. Oh, this, is a, <laughs> this becomes people's favorite And I'll actually also movie. say, and this will be something that gets brought up in the next two... I think I think Natalie Portman is by far the best. This is her best of the three films, and I think she does a great job. Oh, I kind of think I already know where you're going with that, and I think I'm going to agree with you um, because yeah. I think I can kind of. It's not going to all be her fault. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Some of that is whew, Lucas um, yeah. wanting to get poetic. Um, but I think the thing is, is like some of the high notes that I like. If we can talk kind of like top notes of yeah. this film, is I mean, you got to talk about. It. Duel of the Fates. Duel of the Fates. Yeah, that ba- that lightsaber sequence between Qui Gon and save Obi- the entire like, film itself. It really does because what I love what they do with Darth Maul is something that I don't know that is always done super consistently um, in in films or super even consistently in Star Wars films. They really build the looming presence of Darth Maul. Like, he's peppered in just the right way. You know, it's kind of like a, like a Boba Fett leave him wanting more, you know. But he's peppered even better than Boba Fett's peppering. I've said pepper now a lot. Um, 
<laughs> but what I like about it is he kind of looms. And when you have that first sequence between him and Qui-Gon in the desert of Tatooine, when they're trying to leave, like that immediately feels like really cool because even that sequence, and I think you can easily forget that that sequence happens because of the duel of the fates later on, mm-hmm. but it's like a really interesting um, moment and exchange. And also it's finally that breakage point of like, if I have to listen to Watto and so- say Bolo or like, and the pod racing and yippee, like one and no offense to Shmi Skywalker, but she kind of annoys me too. Like I'm just ready to be oh, man. Yeah, so mean. It's so, so yeah. mean. I know. <laughs> it's nothing against Shmi. Remember when we said we weren't gonna be <laughs> no, I know, I feel bad. No, it's nothing really against Shmi, I guess. Like it's just There's not a lot for her to do. No, and they I think don't give her much with it. I think that's actually kind of my problem. I almost wanted a little bit more with her, but yeah. I also think that lead so I would say the sequel trilogy was willing to kind of get in the muck a little bit more, whereas I don't know how much Lucas really wanted to talk about the fact that Shmi's a slave. Like, yeah. I don't know how much he really... I think he wanted to say it and move on. I think a later Star Wars film or director maybe takes a, takes a little bit more time with that. But, like, here's what I love about this. You set up something that I think is so important to the character of Obi-Wan. He is someone who is intensely hopeful and balanced about life. Like when he talks about like kind of the symbiotic circle of life when he goes down to the Gungan city, like, and then the other half of him, which is pure, unadulterated sass. He is the sassiest (laughs) Jedi that has ever existed. He is like, his side eye is legendary. Like Ewan McGregor's portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) is probably one of my favorite things across the films. Ian McGregor looks like he's just smirking half the time. And, and that's it's not a great. bad, it's like a great character trait. It's just, he looks natural in that role. And that's a really good thing. Well, and here's like, I mean, you know, so we're talking about like the duel of the fates, but like you 100% buy like why he's a master Jedi, even though at that point, I think he's not to have gone through the, the trials yet. Um, he's still in training. He's got that stupid braid to prove it. Um, you know, and he's, you know, he's not there yet, but, like, he that immense, like, really intense, like, battle sequence that happens, like, you really get to see Obi-Wan fully flesh out to understand why by the time you get to episode four and he just force goes right out of that battle, he's like, peace, Darth Vader, I've had enough of this noise. Like, you kind of go, like, you've gotten to see the buildup to that because of this film, and I just feel like when that happens now in episode four and you rewatch it, you're like, you've got all that Ewan McGregor behind you. I I agree. Um, And I think you were talking about Qui-Gon and played by Liam Neeson. He does just a a fantastic job where you want more of that character throughout the entire series as well and how he plays that. Well, and I think, like, too, there's there's so much importance to that Qui-Gon Jinn role because I think it also gives you like another dimension of the Jedi. Cause that's like something we don't know. Like, you know, Obi-Wan and you know, Yoda and you know, Luke and that's it. But now we get to kind of see that whole Jedi council and what it looks like in the heyday when things are more polished aspects. And now granted, obviously things on Tatooine are never good, but like in other parts of the Republic, like, you know, there's a little bit more thriving. Yes. There's trade disagreements. Um, but other than that, like, you get to see this very different version. You get to see the Jedi in their heyday. Or, I mean, I guess at the start of the decline of their heyday. Yeah. Um, but you get you get Mace Windu, who's... 
Yeah. Incredible. He, he, the more I watch these films, the better that character gets. Um, Because he started awesome and then only gets more. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, I mean, obviously Samuel L. Jackson, but he, he just plays that character perfectly. Um, He he does a fantastic job and really builds up to, you know, the finality of, of that character in these films. And I think too, like, you know, you get all these like kind of moments in the Jedi Council. Again, it's like that wanting more thing, because there's actually a point well I'll have to say this there are two things that I noticed this time one thing that you pointed out and I really hope it's the case if we go back to Tatooine for a moment you pointed out you think you see a doll of someone in in the Skywalker house Maz go back and watch episode one there is a shot where there is a doll in the background it looks like Maz Kanata it's actually in the foreground. Oh, it's when, in the foreground. Yeah, yeah when you're Anakin right. is walking into the room, but yeah, it really does look like her. And I don't know if this is something that's readily out there. That's it's known. I ne- we had never noticed it before, but really looks exactly like her, which is an interesting, you know, kind of aspect to that character, which I think is cool. And the second thing to connect worlds, because you said that, and I went, "Oh man, wouldn't that be beautiful?" Or wouldn't it be beautiful if like low-key Disney Plus just digitally added it in, waiting to see if any of us noticed. Like, well, and see if Ma, like oh my gosh, this must kind of added her in. But there was another moment. No, they never tinker with these films. No, you gotta no, keep no. them, <laughs> keep in them pristine. pristine. Flawed and unflawed way, right? Um, I, I do, kind of going back, the one thing, the kind of the the good and the bad of these films is like, again, when we were talking about the, when it hits good, cause that first 10 minutes is, is really terrific. Oh yeah. You know, and that's, it's exciting, especially, you know, thinking about people that had not had these star Wars films, did not know if they would ever get more star Wars films. And then you're going into these films for the first time and you get that first 10 minutes of, of them coming in and trying to have this, you know, talk with voice Roy and, you know, and, and, being, you know, put into a trap and fighting that off, it, it just brings that excitement and you have Qui-Gon trying to come through the blast doors. Oh, which is incredible. Although there's one thing, and and I'll fully admit, and something I should have said right up front, I love these films passionately. I'm a huge fan of them, but I am not an ency- Star Wars encyclopedia. I, I get character names wrong. I sometimes forget characters. I forget plants. I mean, I was terrible at history, so trying to remember all of this is just not going to be my <laughs> strong suit. Um, so if I do throughout the entirety of this podcast, I do apologize to those that are really know this stuff, and I always admire that. I know you're much better with it than I am, so it's just kind of one of those things that I really wanted to kind of get out there as we kind of go. And I am a big fan of the the films. I, I have I don't have a lot in the world of the books or the games or the the, the cartoons. Yeah, and the expanded universe, the paratexts that come with this, like we didn't approach because to try and watch those in preparation of the podcast. And this is already going to be probably a supercharged episode just on going through these. 11 yeah, films. Right. Um, so going back to episode one and kind of closing out, I will say, I mean, obviously we've talked about the duel of the fate seems to be the best part. I, I think honestly, one of my favorite moments is with Qui-Gon. Actually, I'm going to bring this back really quick. Cause I think Qui-Gon is going to have an importance coming up because when he, so when he comes back and he is trying to advocate for why Anakin needs to be trained, but at this point he's too old, which makes sense. Cause when you see the Padawans later, they all look much younger than like that character is supposed to look at that, at that point of the story. There's a line that gets said to Qui-Gon. They say, do not deny the council, not again. 
And I thought to myself, oh, that's like an intro, one of those moments in Star Wars where like, oh, are we ever going to get that side story? Like, what did he do? I think that's going to be about Grogu. I'm calling it. I'm saying that's how they work, that Grogu was in the Jedi <laughs> Temple this whole entire time. I think Qui-Gon had Grogu, and I think then someone else had Grogu. I'm saying it's going to be a Grogu thing. I'm calling it here. You heard it here first. I have no basis other than I heard it and went, is that about Grogu? And I'm like, I have, there's no reason why that would be the case, but it's just something I'm trying I to think of the timeline on that, right? Because, uh, well, because Mandalorian takes place in between Empire and Return. Yep. Am I correct on that? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. And think about the slow pace at which that species ages. Yeah. I'm so saying. It was supposed to be 50 at that point. So yeah, that would definitely, we were talking a lot about ages as we were watching yeah, this. Because there's been a lot of discussion of like, because I've heard that before people talking about, are we going to find out that Grogu was at the Jedi Temple when Order 66 was enacted? Like, there's all sorts of cool stuff with this. But I think, honestly, my favorite, like, Qui-Gon moment is that when he kneels down when the, like, the the barrier shields go up when he's in the Battle of Darth Maul and, like, he kneels down to prepare... And you realize it is literally just one movement, unfortunately, that catches him off guard, that disables him enough that, like, Darth Maul's able to succeed. And then I love the way Obi-Wan charges into that second part of that. Like, he, like, jumps up. Like, this is, like, a hyped-up Obi-Wan. But it's, like, you can tell even at that. Like, he has watched his master be cut down, but it's not in anger. Like, he does it out of, like... It, there's like a different gear. Like, whereas Anakin, I think you would have seen him attack in anger. I think Ray, you would see attack in anger. Luke, Obi-Wan's got this whole other level where he stay, he is hyped up, but he stays calm enough well, to like take. see Luke later on. I mean, well, yeah. yeah like, so. you see so much anger in those, um, like, battles, but like. And I think this is one of the hard things about this movie because we're talking about Duel of the Fates, and there's this horrifyingly annoying droid battle that's going on in the midst of this. That's partly because I just hate that the stupid foot noise those droids make. Those are the worst droids ever. They they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. They're just they're ineffective. <laughs> they're annoying. I want to drop kick all of them. Um, but I think like I, I think that's the the worth of this film is if you can take anything from this, that sequence alone worth its weight in the yeah. rest of the film and the stupid yeah. pod races. I mean to me, <laughs> I mean to me the. The pros are, I really appreciate all the Naboo and Queen Amidala stuff. I think that's yeah, really yeah. done well. Um, obviously, Ian McGregor and, and Qui- um, Liam Neeson, um, their chemistry. Uh, you get one of the all-time best villains with, with yep. Darth Maul. And I actually appreciate the... The intent of a young child, Anakin. I do. Uh, so I think those are all like the really big positives you take out of this film. Um, I think the negatives are going to be visually, the films just are off compared to the other six um, because of the choice to go a lot, you know, you know, with the digital. Um, so that it just visually just is different. I mean, there's no way to get around that. There's, and I think the thing is, the justification I always heard is like, well, yeah, but this is before the Republic fell. That's why everything looks so pristine and otherworldly. I don't, look, I think it's actually a very good and analytical point. However, I think the problem is you could still do that and those actually be re- real sets. No, it's because it was quicker and easier for Luke or it's George. because he could. Like, yeah, and he's that's literally, fine. I don't have any, I mean, I get it. You know, it's just. He's literally Mallory pointing <laughs> at Everest and go, because it's there. Right. Like, that's literally what he does with that. And then the pod racer. I cannot leave this episode without talking talking about the pod racing scene and the one thing that i i will say it's my hate moment that i hate about anything in the star wars film is the announcers during the pod race 
And this is before they were sponsored by Disney and ESPN oh, family. It of- just bothers me because you are taking something that is such a this time period, you know, 20th century. Yeah, it would be 20th at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, 20th century type of. It just, the pod race doesn't bother me. The pod race is actually kind of cool, but these announce, these sports announcers just, it takes me out of the film. I I get so angry now every time I see it. I don't blame you. And you do get viscerally angry every time. All right, let's move into something that's going to make you angry or happier. We'll see. We'll see. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Um, You're angsty teen years for Anakin Skywalker. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to start on an up note. Something that I really love, again, and this comes back to you, I'm a nerd for the Jedi Council stuff, um, and there is a like kind of a walk-and-talk sequence between Yoda and Obi-Wan and Mace Windu when they're talking about how they essentially think that Anakin Skywalker is too arrogant to like endure the trials, and they're very worried about his training. And, you know, obviously Mace Windu and, and Yoda were very um, resistant to the idea of him even being trained, but unfortunately Qui-Gon's death unfortunately puts like a different burden on it. Um, and... I love that walk and talk sequence because I actually, again, this is where I wish the film had expanded because I think some of the interactions between those Jedis, because like one of the cool things you get to see is that not all Jedis are alike. There's a code, but they all approach and have very different sets of skills. And I think one of the really hard things is when you rewatch, you're like the entire time Mace Windu is going, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. And then look what happens. Like, it's this yeah. like, incre- you, you see that like, because they talk about how, like, the in this, uh, when they go to Camino, when they talk about, like, they th- there's obviously this huge blind spot in the Force where they didn't know that um, that Master Cypher Diaz had commissioned this, you know, droid army. And because you don't know, they didn't see that. Yoda's like, there's blind spots in the in Such the a force. huge plot point for an off-screen character we never meet. Exactly. <laughs> but the whole thing being, which is really interesting about this, the fact that they're like, well, there's a blind spot in the force, but the entire time Mace Windu's still like, yeah, that Anakin kid, though, shouldn't we be concerned about him? It's like, you, you just, you know, honestly... Justice for Mace Windu in that way, like, because he's the one saying it on the Jedi Council the entire time. I mean, Yoda sees it too, but it's just a really interesting, that's why I love that walk and talk sequence so much. I wish it had been expanded by a few minutes, just so you get a little bit more of that kind of inner debate, because I think you almost get the sense that, like, there's this role that Obi-Wan feels like he has to fill in Anakin's life, and he does believe in him, but you even see the hesitancy in his belief in Anakin, of going, you can see that he sees what they see, and that's, like, the intense tragedy of this, because you can tell he he wants him to have every shot to turn towards the good, but he's seeing what they're seeing with his arrogance. So I think that just think, think that makes it really interesting. It's literally a thirty seconds throwaway scene, probably though. Well, but those are the board, but that's that's the fun part about this movie, um, and something that I actually appreciate it the more and more we watch it. Um, and it's when it hits, it is really good. Yeah, and when it doesn't. It is really bad. Oh my god, I sounded like a Gungan. Yeah. I just went into the mic, sorry. So, you know, and I think that's the, the key point, because there's a lot, really honestly, and it's, you take, in my opinion, you take the majority of the Anakin and the, you know, Padme stuff out of it, and how just not well written it is, and not well acted, unfortunately, yeah, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, if you take that out, like, there's a lot of real... Because, like, you talked about Kamina. It's, uh, one, it's my favorite scene of this film. 
And I love it. I love, you know, you know the, the, the people there. I love the, the reveal of all of the clones. Yeah. Um, it's where we get to meet Jango Fett. I love, you know, how Ian McGregor plays that, where he is just, he's confused and you understand that but he's still going along because he needs this information and and just visually it's by far one of my favorite scenes in the entire uh prequels uh, i just really enjoy that you do always lean in at that part and i think actually your appreciation and made me even appreciate that for because i love the scene before uh when he goes into the jedi library and he goes into the archives and well there's that demon library and she's got demon eyes i don't trust her um <laughs> But he's looking for Camino, and she he's does like, look she's like doesn't she? Isn't she like low key kind of scary? And when she gets mad about him, asking she does me. like, how dare you, Obi Wan? But you totally get to see like what makes him like what makes him Obi Wan makes him a master Jedi because there's that great moment, and again, these are the moments I live for when you know Yoda is training the Padawans, and he go he goes in and he's questioning Yoda, and he, and Yoda says, "Lost a planet, Obi Wan has how embarrassing!" And it's this great like <laughs> yeah. sweet moment, but it's also like. You get this, like, the studious sense of, like, how Obi-Wan is trying to figure out this mystery. Like, he's not being presented as all-knowing, but he's someone who's trying to figure this out. And then he goes to Camino, and you're right, he plays that, like, a total boss. Like, we know his confusion, but he plays it like, what? This is fine. I totally know that Master Cypher Diaz did this. By the way, we need a movie on him. Yes. <laughs> Straight away. Straight away. Um, and then I like the opening scene a lot because I, um, I, well, and maybe it's not quite the opening, but it's it's very close to the opening. But the chase scene um, with Anakin yeah. and, and Obi-Wan um, after they're trying to get the, um, the, the, the person who tried to kill the assassin. Uh, yeah, the assassin. Yeah. I love that whole scene because I think that it gives us a lot with those two characters. It really builds up their relationship. Mm-hmm. It, it really it gives a lot of exposition, but in a really good way, in a really fun way. Yeah, um, it's by far I think some of the best. It's by far the best in this film. And, and in Hayden Christensen's defense. It is not going to be easy acting alongside Ian McGregor. So as much as he is going to be... Uh, He's so pretty. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm assuming you're talking about Ian McGregor. I'm talking about both, but definitely Ian McGregor more so. Mary Elizabeth Winstead did well for herself. Get it, girl. <laughs> um, I, I do. And then I love the the whole bar scene because I think that's a nice bridge with um, A New Hope. Uh, so I really do enjoy Well, and I'm glad you brought up that chase sequence because here's the thing. I also think it sets up what the central tension is in their relationship. And you see this earlier when he's, like, you know, whining to Padme about this. But it's essentially, like... Anakin wanted a daddy and what he got was a big brother. And that is the central tension of their relationship because Obi-Wan doesn't want to be either of those figures. He wants to occupy the role of I am to shepherd you into this very important position you are going to have in the galaxy. And I know you're super resistant to it, but I have this... I, and I'll borrow from episode one, almost like this life debt of like, I have to do what Qui-Gon intended to honor my master. But however, you know, unfortunately what Anakin was looking for was someone more like Qui-Gon who was going to treat him like a son. And that's not what Obi-Wan was going to do. They're too close in age for that in that way, like for him to occupy that role. And his delivery is and his approach are both so different. And so not opposed to Qui-Gon's, but such a different approach. So I think like, when you get to see them kind of more interacting like brothers, you see them when they're at their peak, but it also is really helpful then to understand like 
why it's so easy for Anakin to be swayed over to the dark side because he's looking for that father figure that he just does not get from Obi-Wan. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to throw a hot take in here. Go for it. I think Obi-Wan had his eyes on uh Padme too. Um I'm here for it. Come <laughs> girl. That first scene when they meet her again, there's some Going on. I, and I'm almost curious if, if Lucas decided at a later time to write that out. Like, that was the intent, that there was going to be some conflict there. But it pops up in Revenge of the Sith. It does a little bit, yes. But here's the thing. I'm going to say this. You be in a room with you and McGregor and not have sexual tension with him. I dare you. <laughs> but I think the thing is, is, like, you bring up a really important point because I think there is an admiration and mutual respect that occurs between Obi-Wan and Padme. I would say it's a... He really respects her warrior spirit, and and which gets you know really nicely um, reflected then within like how Leia is as a character later on. Um, but I think he respects that so highly, and I think they are more equals. And I think that also adds tension with Anakin because it's like, how do I have this person who I wanted to be a father figure was really like a big brother figure, and he's somehow an equal with my love interest? It's a really confusing dynamic to navigate, and I. In that way, and we don't know what the ages are supposed to be, but in that way, Padme probably would have been a better partner with Obi-Wan well, than with and Anakin. there's one of the big negatives. Uh, we, we, are we getting to the lake country? Well, the one thing we have to say is he... I, I don't mind the age difference, but by choosing to keep the same actress, yeah. it just... It, it's it's off. It, it, it throws you off because of seeing... Especially when you watch them back to back. Oh, yeah. Because you do nothing to age up. Natalie Portman, nor should you have, because she is supposed to be young, obviously, um, but it's it's jarring, um, and that doesn't work, and then you get some really bad dialogue, and, lo- and you have literally the worst line in the entire franchise about sand. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to do the, I'm haunted by the kiss you never should have well, given me. All right, so there's a lot of bad lines in Well, this and here's the thing, I'm going to... Are um, them frolicking in the no, field? Although God. there's one shot of them in the field that's actually kind of It's actually really done, pretty, yeah. But then you get it two minutes later where you He's have... He's on the thing. The, the thing balancing this and I'm just so like... so immature. Oh my God. But here's the thing I... Uh, and I'm not going to defend Lucas's dialogue here, but here's the one thing I'll say. I think the problem is, is that Lucas started writing... Padme and Anakin, like they were in a melodrama where they were monologuing back and forth. And the problem is, is that in Star Wars, except in very rare occasions, there aren't monologues. There is really heavy expository dialogue, but there's not monologuing. And that's kind of the problem. That whole sequence that happens between them at the late country where it's nighttime and the fire is going and, and he's having that whole monologue about like, you know, this this very existing, existing tension between them. Like, unfortunately, it's so misplaced in a Star Wars movie. It's never how love has been expressed in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And that would be fine. But it, the problem is the dialogue so is not within the same movie you as everything else. Oscar-winning actress that couldn't elevate that dialogue. No, and Natalie Portman is a phenomenal mm-hmm. actress. Yeah. But because at least Hayden Christensen, he was still really green pretty new. at that yeah. point. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, so it's... And then, you know, from there we move into, you know, essentially we get to the the clones attacking, you know. Yeah. I am skipping a few beats here. Um, 
But we get to the clones attacking and probably one of the better scenes within the, I mean, obviously I think you're right that the Camino sequence is probably the best sequence in the film. Uh, the only other one that I would say could top that getting to see Yoda battle off against yeah. Count Dooku. That's pretty, yeah. that's pretty dope. It's completely. Like I said, uh, when it hits, it hits. Um, and that's another scene. That's just awesome because we've been all wanting to see that. And you get, you finally get to see him wield a lightsaber. And I think that's like kind of you, you're bringing this up and I think it's a really important note. Like when the, this set of the trilogy works, it's like, oh wow, it works so well. It makes you want to defend those I movies. I like all the Senate stuff. I don't mind it. Oh, nor do I. I don't mind it. Um, I don't mind films that kind of take beats at points. Like I don't need action sequence after action sequence, nor do I think you do. Um, I, you know, I think it's, Telling that, you know, you because the patterning before was like, you know, the second film was, you know, Empire Strikes Back. And, and this one ends what seemingly like in a hopeful moment, but it ends with their wedding, which we all know is kind of going to lead to the destruction yeah, of everything. So I think that's telling. There's some smart choices made. It's not well, that there's not. What would you do? Because you're, you know you're going to end on an, you know, a negative yeah. in the third film. We all know where that's leading. <laughs> Nothing good comes from that. But I think this is a good moment to talk about prequels in and of themselves. And I think this is the, pro- I, and I, I inherently don't like prequels. Um, I don't think they're usually... I I have a hard time off the top of my head trying to think of an outstanding one. Um, Godfather Part 2. Right, but that's also a sequel and a prequel at the same time, right? Well, yeah. But it's got prequel elements. Yeah, but I'll give you that. I'm not saying there... You know, I'm sure that there are some, but, but this doesn't... This is the problem because you you put your characters in spots that we of the audience know where everything's going, so you makes your characters look dumb in many like we all know who Palpatine is, right? We all know that yeah. he's you know, and you're just going, how does nobody see this? Like, right? Like, there are just these moments that, because we as the audience know where everything's going to end up. It's not anything against it. It's just hard to have that same. Well, no, I think you're completely right because I think it's the problem of, of like, are you telling me no one else was suspicious? Now, granted, the suspicion it does... suspense out. I mean, that's the big thing. Yes, and I will say... Now, the only thing I'll say is I do feel like Revenge of the Sith feels very... And we'll move into talking about episode three, Revenge of the Sith. That feels suspenseful because of the fact we want to know how we're going to get from point A to point B because he's, like, happy, he's impregnated Padme, and then how are we getting to Vader by the end of the film? Because we know that's where it's ending. You also start to have the suspicion of uh, Palpatine. Um, you know, honestly, they should have just let Chancellor Valorum stay in power, mainly because I didn't remember that was Udo Kier from episode <laughs> one. So, like, if nothing else, just for that. But I agree with you. There's a little bit of that, like, that dramatic irony. We know more than they know. But it's also, it's the interesting thing of seeing how are we, how do we get there? Yeah. Because that's not how the film starts. And I think this is another moment of release expectation and release ownership, but it's tough about, um, you know, prequels is we also, we've all built up in our mind how these characters got there with some things when not everything's explained. And when you now have to explain it, you've not let up interpretation or your yeah. own type of imagination play. And and sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes it's not a good thing. And I, I, there are moments in this, it just, it unfortunately backfires. Well, and I'll say this, like, one of the things to your point, and I, and I think you're bringing up something that's a really important way and a vantage point to kind of look at this, because like one of the weaknesses I do think within this um, set of films 
They never show to me what is so appealing about Palpatine that Anakin is so enchanted by him. They never show that. It is something that, honestly, that would have actually helped me. Because I can understand if he just started turning to the dark side on his own accord because of the fear of losing, you know, Padme. Or because, I mean, his his mom died at the hands of, like, slave owners. Like, that I would understand. But the problem is, is they never show enough to me because it and and no one at me about the Darth Plagueis the Wise scene. That is literally the only scene where you could kind of go where he goes not by a Jedi, and you go like, oh okay, like that's. But there's nothing else to explain like why his loyalties are there with Palpatine. So I find I always find that kind of troubling in Revenge of the Sith because then the turn doesn't make as much sense. But I will say once you get his turn towards the dark side through the end. Killing of the Padawans. I mean, it works. I wrote down in my notes, we needed a fourth prequel for Anakin. Um, And I really mean that because I think you have him as a kid. I think you need to see him, too, as more of this this powerful, positive Jedi. Um, And we get a little more of that angsty Jedi. We don't really see him as, as that powerful. And then by the time we do see him powerful, he's going, you know completely rogue um um, but now the thing is i had to remind myself there's an entire series cartoon series the clone wars which does give you that so for me as a film i wanted to see i could almost see a fourth film with him but i understand that there are other mediums out there that you can get what i'm looking for yes and a hundred percent that is an incredible point to bring in into the fray here of like obviously someone has tried to work through that of like explaining how we get there so that way by the time you get to revenge of the sith like because I, th- to me, there's a really great sequence in this film. I think it's actually one of the best sequences in the film, other than, like, and I'm sure we'll get into a discussion of Mustafar, but the scene that goes back and forth between Anakin at the Jedi Temple and Padme in her chambers with, like, that mournful music, um, and you essentially, you get the sense of kind of, like, the impending doom. To me, it's one of the more emotional sequences in the film because it's this back and forth of this person who is, like, longing and hoping that danger hasn't come to the person that she loves the most and this other person who's having to make a decision, having to make a choice. And it's really the music that's underscored, the way it's shot, the cinematography in that scene. I give Lucas a lot. Not that I need to give Lucas credit. I mean, George (laughs) Lucas, but like there's something really like meditative about that, that I think emotionally can kind of get you there as to what's going on. I just wish I had like four or five more scenes like that. So I could understand, again, what is it about Palpatine that made you go, I have to make this change? Because why not, like, Mace Windu be your father figure? Or Yoda? Or the guy with the cone head? Or the one with the tail? Like, any other person on the Jedi Council... Well, most of them are dismissing him, though, a little bit. Yeah, I get it. Um, no, and you're he right. kind of takes him under the wing, and he tells him, I mean, who's not going to follow somebody that tells them that they can teach them how to keep their loved ones alive especially a character that's lost everything in his life but i think that's like what makes it so sad and tragic like the fact that like we all sit there we know it's like he can't help you to do that like he is playing you like a fiddle like he has played everyone else throughout like i mean he's an evil genius like it's just the manipulative nature and this is why i hate palpatine so much i really like if you don't know this like my d- disgust for Palpatine is not even just the visceral, like, oh, he's a villain. There's something that really unnerves me, which says that they're doing their job. But, like, it just so bothers me, especially that, like, l- that sequence when he- when he's fighting Mace Windu and he's pretending to be, like, 
you know, he's saying, like, help me and don't let him kill me, Anakin. And it's, like, this whole, like, like total, like, mind screw that's yeah. happening. Oh, God, it drives me nuts every time I watch it. Because I think, like, I just get so invested. And I think that's the thing. I wanted that severe emotional investment in Anakin's turn earlier in the film. Like, I wanted it a few beats earlier. And it's nothing against, because I think Revenge of the Sith works really well. I think of the, th- and I don't know if you feel similarly, but I would say of the three prequel films, I think it's the best of yeah, that set. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I'm with you completely. You, um, is your favorite part on Mustafar? Do you have a favorite sequence in the film? Um, Mustafar is probably... I mean, it's hard to argue that that's not... I mean, that whole sequence, once Order 60... That last 20 minutes, he does a great job. Once Order 66 goes out, oh. like, I'm invested in the entire thing. Oh, yeah. And I feel like everything's been earned. Everything's been made up of any flaws that I may or may not have found in earlier films. Like, that's just... It gives me a lot of what I wanted, and and I'm I'm invested. I'm 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 on the like you said. There's the suspense. There's the edge of my seat. I know where we're gonna end up, but I'm still wanting to see all of it. But here's the thing, like, because there are surprises in that. I didn't know that Obi-Wan was going to be the one that leads him to look as he looks as Darth Vader. I didn't know that's how Padme was going to die. Like, there are aspects of this that are, like, really tragic to watch because especially when they have that, like, they're having that conversation and you realize, like, Obi-Wan is having an entirely different conversation, but Anakin is only hearing it through, like, poisoned ears. Like, he only hears it as... This is Jedi manipulation. He's not understanding, like, if you could just, like, yes, you have done a horrifying thing. You have killed Padawans. You have tried to single-handedly bring about the end of the Jedi, which, I mean, he almost does. And Obi-Wan is still even trying to give you this redemption. Like, he is still trying to talk him off the the literal Mustafarian ledges. But he just is, he's not hearing the same conversation. And you realize just, like how warped he is and how like so caught in his grief and fear that anything Obi-Wan is saying is only pushing him closer to how he was already feeling. It's like a really tragic scene. What I also really like about, especially that back end, is a lot of what goes on there then I think does a nice job of again bridging with uh, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Oh, for sure, I think that film by far the most actually really helps for the enjoyment and for the story of those two films also. And and some, to, to kind of take away from some of the negative feedback on those films. No, completely. And I, I get completely what you're saying. Like, there's a lot of ways in which Revenge of the Sith can be, like, a film that you can pair and kind of see some of, the, like, the really beautiful symmetrical things that can happen in the Star Wars franchise in turn, or mirroring uh, things that you can see happening in some of the storytelling you know, I even think about, like, you bring up that about Rise of Skywalker and kind of, like, this, like, how much sacrifice becomes a part of that, um, that section of film, like, or that section of the trilogy. You know, I think about, like, how tragic it is that, like, Yoda tells, like, Obi-Wan, like, you have to go do this. And he, like, begs him to not make him yeah. be the one who has to kill Anakin. Mm-hmm. He, like, begs him not to have to do it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, so incredibly sad. Like, he know like, this... His friend has just killed younglings, and he's even at that, like, please don't make me be the one that has to do this. It's so, it hurts. That whole (laughs) sequence hurts. And I don't want to beat a dead wampa with this, Uh, but but also that, the the Yoda stuff, too, again, really speaks to a lot of the stuff that goes on with Luke in Last Jedi. Um, Oh! You know, of of his, his perceived failure and his choice to exile himself, and that line when, um, 
you know, Yoda gets picked up by Jimmy Smith's, um, you know. Oh, you God, know, that's so tragic. After he feels so defeated. Um, yeah, just, I, there's so much, I really like Revenge of the Sith a yeah. lot. Um, there's two things I want to, before we leave the prequels, I just have to say, they're dumb, they're not about anything, but we also get one of the all-time best songs with Weird Al Yankovic's cover of my my the tyrannican guy <laughs> so just i have to give props to that because I, I love it uh, and then two i love that et is in the senate or the <laughs> et yes, because yes, yes. for those who don't know there's a great spot in et when et sees somebody dressed up as yoda and says home yeah and i love that in some way there's a shared universe between et and star wars E.T. and Grogu hanging out is the Star Wars movie I need. Yes! <laughs> Give me that. Give me that. So moving out of the prequel trilogy, uh, we're, so now we're going to move into the Star Wars story. Star Wars uh, And we probably won't linger here no. as long. But, you know, so this is Solo, a Star Wars story, and then Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So, Ryan, I'll ask you, what are your thoughts on Solo, a Star Wars story? I know it gets pretty <laughs> picked apart. Solo, a Star Wars story is fine. Um, and that's the best I can give to it because... Um, it's, there's not, it's kind of forgettable. Um, and I hate saying it. And, and a lot of that comes down to two different things. Again, expectation, what we love about Han Solo. Some of the, what we love about him is the mystery. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't need everything explained, including his name. Um, so some of that is disappointing. Um, and unfortunately just the gentleman that they chose to play Han Solo just doesn't ever get to that spot. Like, there's moments, there, there's moments where you're like, oh, I see it, but from an entire film standpoint, he just, it, he's not, who fills the role of Harrison Ford? I mean... No one. Right. I mean, that's... So here, here's what I'll say in slight defense of this. The thing that I love most about this movie, and I know you already know this, Donald Glover is Lando Calrissian. Yeah. <laughs> make it a Lando movie. Honestly, make it a Lando movie. <laughs> Yes. Have a Han Solo cameo, make it a Lando Because movie. I will tell you I agree with you, because actually I have a whole different answer to you if you take out Han Solo from this film. I love... Oh, um, Kira. Uh, yeah, Emily Clark, I yeah. think, is great in this. Paul Bettany is a phenomenal villain. Oh, yeah, he's terrific. I love Woody Harrelson in it. Great. Um, I, I apologize, I don't remember the girl. She was just in Falcon and Winter Soldier, who plays... Um, oh, she plays... Um, um, Morgenthau. Why is her yeah. first name going out of my head on uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yeah. Um, Carly Morgenthau. Yeah, yeah. Is um, the character name in right, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, I can't think of the actress's she, name. She plays a really great part in this. Um, you know, I just, I really like... A lot like, of great world building. Yeah. So there's really good... I, and, and the highlight is obviously Donald Glover as Lando. I mean, I agree with you. That's... And unfortunately, when your side character becomes outshines everything else it, it's hard to not an uncommon story though in star wars movies with the secondary character outshining the main maybe han solo is not the main character of a new hope i don't think he outshines luke skywalker ah! okay. <laughs> this is about to get contentious oh! <laughs> um but yeah solo here's the thing i think solo does really it doesn't really interesting things with like how we can expand story and how we can expand worlds again i just i think i'm looking for a lando movie like uh, like i I need an extension on to that because i think he made such an incredible lando calrissian and like and i think the problem is is i 
I don't find the portrayal of Han Solo that dissimilar to Harrison Ford. Um, there were moments that I thought actually really worked to show kind of his origin of how he develops that swagger. But I also think trying to show the development of that swagger versus that swagger just full out, full steam. Yeah. It's a little harder to buy into for people. I, I, I mean, I want... <sighs> It's these characters that you didn't get enough of. Lando, I want to see more of. It's why I'm excited for the book of Fett. You know, it's going to be coming out to Disney. Like, that's going to be a great show because there's not a lot. Um, And I don't dislike this movie by any means. I actually really enjoy it. Oh, yeah, it's fine. I just, it it kind of is forgettable a little bit in the Star Wars universe. And I think because of the next film we're going to talk about, which is Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Right. Taking a piece, you can make a prequel on something we don't have a lot of information on or a lot of really preconceived thoughts on. And, and give us one of the best heroes across all the Star absolutely. Wars films. Absolutely. Hell yeah, Jyn Erso. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, just one of the best Star Wars films. K2SO. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, somebody, our, our friend John had, had had said something recently where I saw where he said it's a film about working together for something bigger than yourself. And, mm-hmm. and that's the whole heart of this film. And yeah. I love every second of it. And here's a film that had a terrible, um, you know, filming issues. Like they had to oh, go back yeah. and reshoot so much of it, but it just works. And like you said, Jen Erso is... Uh, an iconic character that you wish you could have more of. But you know why you can. And I think that's what makes that character so great is because True. you really get, you know, and that is the unfortunate thing. And I like John's remarks there. Like it's such an important, because that is such an important theme of Star Wars as a franchise. I, I often think that's why also too, like the prequel trilogies can feel so disconnected sometimes even from, you know, four through nine. Mm. And I think that really is, is because what Star Wars is, is about a group of, people banding together for a cause greater than themselves. You really have that in the prequel trilogies as much. You have the Jedi, but you assume that's what the Jedi have signed up for. Yeah. And with this, it's like, you get to see, well, what does that look like if they don't all make it out? Yeah. Like, and that's like the really hard part of this film, but it's so great. Mads Mikkelsen is phenomenal in this. Yeah. Yeah. He's very good. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, It's shot beautifully. Gareth Edwards, the director of it, just does a... That beach sequence. Oh, my, yes. That beach sequence is everything. So much with it. And there's a lot of good humor in it. Um, I also think it it fills major plot points. I think it actually gives a plot point that people don't talk about, and somebody's going to call me out and tell me I'm completely crazy, and that's fine. Like, there's so much made about how the stormtroopers miss, and I have this, and you know, but... But I believe it's Obi-Wan that has the line in A New Hope where they're like, they're great marksmen. And like, we have this joke that stormtroopers can't hit. Well, I have this feeling that it's about the force. And that's why they can't hit because you usually have somebody that has force power when that's around. Well, yeah, because it's the character in it whose name is totally escaping my brain right now. Who sa- He's the one who uh, repeats, I am one with the Force, the Force is one yeah. with me. And it's him because yeah. you get the sense of, like, him embracing the Force, why he doesn't get yeah. hit for a while. So, oh, gosh, that character's name went right out of my head. Um, so, yeah, just, I mean, give me more of that. I mean, but we do, right? That's, that's kind of the Mandalorian feel, right? Where it's like you're building the universe completely. And, you know, we... we that's why now we can see that there's so much more we can get from just this world that Lucas built. Like it can, there's endless possibilities of stories that we can get. This one does interconnect with obviously the, 
you know, the Skywalker saga and, and fills that big plot point of the Death Star in a brilliant way. <laughs> yeah. And you also get the moment everybody needed was Vader, right? Like, and you hate saying it, but like that epic Vader moment at the end is just vicious. Oh, it's so badass. Yeah. (laughs) You hate cheering for it because you're like, but wait, I've been rooting for the people he's killing the entire movie. (laughs) Like, and then you watch it happen. You're like, oh yes, but this is what we always wanted to see. But I feel so bad that I want this. (laughs) Right. Cherry Root, that's the name of the character. I don't know why that, like I'd complete, I had to quick Google it because it was going to bother me otherwise. But yeah, I think Rogue One is like a brilliant case study for why I think expanded story in the Star Wars universe works. I mean, Mandalorian, obviously another for that as well. And hopefully Book of Fett and the Ahsoka Tano series. But yeah, I mean, because it is, it's something so incredible. And then it leads literally right up to Star Wars. That's it. It's just called Star Wars. Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this was the first Star Wars movie I saw. I know for you it wasn't. Um, I can't remember if I saw them in order or not. Unfortunately, I've just no, 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 this was the first Star Wars movie I saw. Oh! I just the first Star Wars film I saw, or the first movie I ever saw in the theater was Return of the Jedi. Oh, mm. that was my mistake. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously, it's really going to be hard to talk about this in any kind of condensed manner. This film is so phenomenal. I'm not saying anything that people haven't said since 1977. Um... <laughs> I will say, really bold to open your movie with two droids for about 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Spend a lot of time. But that's the thing I love about it. Like, I love when they get into the transport on Tatooine and you're just in this transport and it's just literally filled with what they had to make was like hundreds of droids that were never going to be used in the film otherwise other than that sequence because it just really kind of, I think, builds like, it builds danger. It also builds like kind of the culture surrounding of how droids are treated. Like, you know, we know R2-D2 and C-3PO as these kind of like precious beings that are like taken care of and we know R2-D2 is like the, the truest hero of the rebellion throughout the saga. But at the same time, it's like... Yeah, but also droids are pretty disposable, like, and are pretty, like, you know, they're second-class citizens, and you just have this whole entire transport, but you know R2-D2, and you get the sense that R2-D2 and C-3PO are going to be so incredibly important, but it's just, like, a weird space to start this movie, considering that's probably not the first thing you'd say about Star Wars A New Hope is, like, oh, R2-D2. <laughs> True, very true. You'd say Luke, I, I mean, think, we do get Leia. Darth right off the bat. Yes. I mean... I just meant more the amount yeah, of no, time I, you spend. Yeah, I, you're completely right about that. And something I hadn't even really thought about because now we've seen it so many times, you take it for granted. Um, you know, it just... But he was doing things that weren't... I mean, he... A lot of the stuff that Lucas chooses to do comes from his fandoms, right? But yeah. he, he ended up turning it into his own unique vision and, and made it something that you always hear people talk about. It was something they never seen. Like, when people talk about first movies in the theater or first movie that just really... This comes up all the time with people that were born in that 70s, 80s era. And I would love to know even now, you know, kids with the prequels and the, and the sequels, if, if they're still having those same type of feelings about that those were these transformative moments in the theater. And here's the thing. I am only going on the sample size of the students I have in front of me on a regular basis, and they are all probably trying to preen for their grade, <laughs> but they talk, they wax poetic about the first Star Wars movies they saw in theater. They really wax poetic about the original trilogy, which I always find really interesting. That opening crawl. Oh, the uh, Leia just, like, hiding behind. Yeah. Oh. I, it, yeah. 
space opera. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know this is like an almost impossible question to ask with probably the next six films we're going to talk about. What are some of your high points of A New Hope? Like, what are some parts that you hold on to and you're like, that to me is the moment in A New Hope? That's a great question for a film that's so, you know, huge in, in film history. But I have to go with what I think may be one of the single most iconic shots in film history. And that's Luke with the two sons <laughs> standing. That's your hero shot. You scruffy nerve herder. <laughs> That was so my answer. (laughs) That just speaks to it, right? I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful shot. I mean, we talk about these moments where we love a great shot in film, and that's it. Like, and and you throw in the score um, of this film. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I could talk about New Hope all day because I think it's such a condensed, its own film, and it's just perfectly packaged. So you're telling me your favorite Luke moment isn't, but I was going to go to Tashi Station and get power converters. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way to do a Tashi Station Tashi podcast, but... Um, <laughs> I'll figure that out. I'll yeah. spend some time working on that. I, but that's... Yeah, I love Luke's kind of... I, I know sometimes we make jokes and that just happens when you see films all the time. Sure. But I, I like Luke's kind of changed throughout this film um i I think it is a good journey um i I think you do take this kid that gets thrust into this situation and and has to adapt and not realize what his powers are and you know and what's inside him and 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 have to step up something that he wants to be but now he's given the opportunity in the worst scenario possible well and yeah because like that's you know that moment of utter tragedy of his, the only family he's known being killed, um, you know, and, you know, Luke's life is, you know, it starts in tragedy. It's so marred by tragedy, um, you know, but it's still like the most, like one of the more incredibly hopeful characters, like in the series, um, you know, and I think I like seeing his development because I think that is really um, nicely juxtaposed against like Han's development as, you know, kind of rogue scoundrel becomes general by the end um, of, of return meaning. But also, like, I like because it's juxtaposed against, like, kind of the fully formed rebel princess badass that is Leia. Because she is so, like, devout in her mission. And she is so focused. And she is the same age as Luke. But experience and and different upbringings have just created such very different people. Because his experiences has been, he, he was kind of, he's remote. He feels like... Unfortunately, like the life he wants to live is not the one that he's in. He he almost like there's that sense he feels like kind of the grander narrative that he's meant to fulfill. Whereas Leia is living it, like she is in that grand. Like she no, she just does not know she has the force. No, she doesn't know um, what her lineage is. But she is one hundred percent living like her big Star Wars story. I agree, and I think what Lucas did with that character is a real testament to him. Like we we talk about sometimes with how his characters are written, and you, she is a really huge heroine in in pop culture history, and for good reason. She's not she gets the label of princess, and but she's a a general, a warrior, a, you know. A, a, a soldier. Um, well, there's know, that great nod in Force Awakens when when Poe Dameron calls her general, and he's like, "She'll always be a princess," or yeah. she'll, to me, she'll always be royalty. Because you I, realize she's. Both. I love the cockiness that she has, and yeah. she doesn't. I mean, she needs to be saved, but it's not be. You know, 
because she wants to be. It's just because of it's circumstance. circumstance. Yeah. Well, and you even think about like the interrogation, like droid that comes in. Um, yeah. I think they call it like a mind probe. I think is what they end up calling it. But like, you just think about like the harshness of the experiences she's already had, and like a lot, you know. And even like Luke, he comes in like very bold, like, "Well, I'm here to save you," and it's like. Yeah, dude, you don't really need to save her in the way that you think. She is very <laughs> capable of getting out of this. Oh, you're gonna get another kind of shot of on Luke Skywalker. I'm here to save rescue. Yes, yeah, and like <laughs> yeah. him with the you know stormtrooper outfit yeah. on. Like, yeah, it is, and that's the thing is like this film is like essentially you've probably if you've never seen New Hope, you've probably seen every iconic shot from a New Hope yeah. at some point in your life, and it's hard honestly to pick like most iconic moments because isn't that just what this film is? It's the origin point. Exactly. You're completely right. Like, you just... Like, I forget sometimes how early Obi-Wan gets taken out by Darth Vader. Dude, thank you. Hundo percent. Like, literally was thinking that as we were watching. I'm like, oh, crap, that's right. That does happen really early. And I've seen this movie about a thousand times, but yeah. I don't know why it caught me so unaware. I'm like, he's gone already? Shit. I love the cantina. Oh, yeah, that's um, great. How he doesn't, Luke doesn't get killed, like, within two minutes of being in the cantina is like a miracle of Star Wars. McClunky. Uh, I will say a note on this. So this time we watched, we used Disney Plus to watch all of the films. We actually yeah. do have a... Blu-ray of the de-specialized. Keep that on the DL. Oh, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. That's we not bought a street legal. <laughs> <laughs> we bought that at like the back table at a convention, and if you've been to a convention, you know what we're talking about. Um, you might want to be careful down that. Oh, path. we know. Oh, yeah, that sounds so much worse than I mean it. But I don't mean it that true. bad. It's not. It's not untrue <laughs> what I'm saying. But like we, so the de-specialized. It, it's the original theatrical cuts. Now the version that we have is actually um, some filmmakers in Germany who put original reels back together. So I mean, this thing is like pretty pristine it's like it looks great it looks great um yeah we just for ease we chose to do disney plus this time and uh, because that's what most people are going to see and i'm going to tell you if you've not seen the despecialized in a really long time like if you've only seen the souped up versions i'd highly recommend getting yourself a copy of those because honestly it'll it may, actually, I think, made it hard to watch this version because I, there were times where I was like, get thing. that out of there. Get that out of there. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, don't tinker. But, I mean, it's yours. It's your playground. You it's get to his play. world. We're yeah. all just living in it. So moving into then, we move into... Do you have any negatives? New Hope? Yeah. No. I, my only negative, and it's nothing against New Hope, actually, it's just... You can tell that this wasn't 100% thought out, despite what everybody said. I'm not saying he didn't have an outline of what his three films were going to be. Or are you talking about the mysterious? What was it like? He's got these books that he wrote, like... <laughs> yeah, there are just things that... There's that, so many theories. You know, this is always my issue when people have such complaints about the sequels and even the prequels. It's like, these original trilogy, which we're just going to wax poetically about, are flawed too. I mean, there's a little, there's flaws and there are inconsistencies throughout. Yeah. But... Who cares? Who cares? They're great. <laughs> and we also have to give props to maybe one of the most, again, iconic, non-real foods of all time. <laughs> blue milk. Blue milk is delicious. Blue milk is awesome. <laughs> I'm going to make blue milk this week. Um, this week, drink that. of the week. Let's do it. Drink of the week. Drink of the week. <laughs> and this concludes episode one, May the 4th. Join us tomorrow for episode two, Revenge of the 5th, where we start with The Empire Strikes Back and take you through the rest of the Skywalker saga. Skywalker saga.